And so now we are on our final pillar on which our church will be built. And that pillar, that fourth pillar, is reformation. And that's our pillar of to see our city transformed to the glory of God. And whether you know it or not, we actually started this series last week uh, when Pastor Nathan came and preached, Pastor Nathan from Radiant Church, and he preached from Jeremiah chapter 29. And the verse that we tried to emphasize last week was, uh, God said to his people, seek the welfare of the city. And so what I wanted us to hear is that we have a responsibility to seek the welfare of our own city here in Wichita, where we are exiles. And see, one of the problems with us as the body of Christ is that we don't see ourselves as sojourners and exiles. We, we, our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Paul says in Philippians. We are citizens first and foremost and primarily of the kingdom of heaven. That's where we all pledge our allegiance to is the kingdom of heaven. Then secondarily, we are citizens here on this earth in whatever country we are. And since we're all here together, we're going to be we're going to say we're citizens of America. And so Wherever God, wherever your citizenship is on earth, we must first pledge allegiance to the kingdom of heaven for those of us who are of the body of Christ. And then we've been sent from heaven as exiles to earth to expand the kingdom of God here on earth. And one of the ways we do that is to seek the welfare of Wichita. This morning, I want us to look what Christ told his disciples as it relates to their relationship with the world in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn there or swipe there to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some somewhere near the hospitality table. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, just go back there. You can walk back there right now and grab one, go back to your seat and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible that is your own, that you can read for yourself, if you'd like to have a physical copy of the Word of God, please take one from there and it's yours. Take it. We want you to have it. That's our gift to you. Um, you need God's Word. God's Word will give you direction. It will reveal to them who God is, who Christ is, and it will give you direction for life. If you're searching for truth, you will find it in God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Our custom here at the British Church is to stand in honor and reverence of the Word of God. So if you are willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 from the English Standard Version. And here is what thus said the Word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how shall it be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's, I want you to try that with me. Our friends over at first three, a number of churches do this. After the reading of the word, the one who's reading the word announces, this is the word of the Lord. The congregation responds, called response by saying, thanks be to God. So can we do that? Yes. This is the word of the Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew's point of view when it comes to to the gospel and, and the purpose of his writing is he's presenting Jesus as king of kings. He's writing to a Jewish audience and he's letting them know that your king has arrived. And this king is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 5 with, with, in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he's talking to them about what life looks like for citizens of the kingdom of God. And the first section of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, we have what is called the Beatitudes. Jesus starts saying uh, things like, Bless all the poor spirit. Bless our foes who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Bless all the merciful. He talks about the blessings attached to those who live out the values of the kingdom of God. In the last section of the verse, he says to them, you ought to, you will be mocked and you will be persecuted. You will be slandered for my sake. But Christ does something really crazy right here. He then tells them, rejoice when this happens. Because, because you have a great reward in heaven. Matter of fact, what they do to you, they've already done to the prophets who came before you. So, so you actually are in good company. Matter of fact, the fact that you are suffering and, and being persecuted for my sake reveals that you are probably right in the will of God. Mm, we don't like that, to hear that, that suffering means that I can be in the will of God. Sometimes God uses suffering and pain to, to, to make us more like his son, to make us more holy. We call that discipline. And so there can be purpose in our pain. Jesus said, when you are persecuted and when you are mocked, rejoice. And so Jesus is saying, this is what the world will do to you. Now let me tell you what you are to do for the world. In the first section, blessed, he says, blessed, blessed, blessed. This is the happy life. He says, now the world is going to do this to you. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. But this is how you are going to relate to the world. And he starts by saying this, you are the salt of the earth. Yeah, yeah. First thing that we see in, in this part of the section of the Sermon of the Mount is he gives them the description, their description or their function as a committed follower of Jesus Christ. He gives them two descriptors here for their new identity their new influence in the world. He first says, you are salt. The word you here, the text, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, you is emphatic in the Greek text. It, 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 here's how it really reads the Greek text. It says, you, you are the salt of the earth. 
Rewind, press play. You, you are the salt of the earth. It's as if Christ, as he's standing there giving this sermon on the mount, he's pointing to his disciples and saying, you, you are the salt of the earth. Not everybody even who's hearing this sermon is the salt of the earth, but he's pointing to his followers, his disciples, and saying, you are the salt of the earth. And so, Christ said, there's no one else that is the salt of the earth. Church, we are the salt of the earth. No other group can claim to be the salt of the earth. Here, let's talk about salt for a minute. Salt was very significant in ancient times. In the Oriental world, it was used to show friendship between two people. To this day, some Arabs Arab still use the expression, there is salt between us. Meaning, we're, we are friends. At one time, salt was so scarce and, and precious that Roman soldiers were paid in part with salt. They, they, they were given a salarium. Maybe salary. There you go. Matter of fact, if a soldier was a poor soldier and an ineffective soldier, it was said that that Roman soldier was not worth his. Oh, y'all can have me preaching here. Yeah, he, he wasn't worth his. So, so, so salt was very precious. Jesus, in the time when he's speaking this, when he says salt, you are the salt of the earth, salt had two primary functions during the biblical times. One was for flavor. It made food tasty. My wife, we just had this conversation. We were uh, dining or uh, visiting someone in someone's home last night, and the conversation came up about salt, <laughs> cooking with salt. My wife likes salty food. <laughs> she, you know, she. You know, some of us shake salt onto our food. My wife pours salt onto her food. She, she, she likes salt food. Salt has a way of making food taste. It makes the flavor of the food come, come out. What salt is for food is what Christians are for the world. The world ought to be a better place because of Christians. We will see later that Christ says that, that the salt that we actually do is through good deeds. That's our function in the world, to function as salt in the world. So if we see that salt had a, uh, one of the primary functions of salt was flavor. But more than that, and this is probably where I think Christ may have been really going towards here, is that salt was used for preservation. It was used to preserve from corruption. Remember, during these times, there was no electricity, so you couldn't just say, well, I'm just going to freeze this. You know how you go to Dillon's and you go to the clearance sign and you, they, they have that meat, you know, that, that's, it's, it's like, this is going to go down, or we got to sell this, goodbye, a certain thing. That's where I go shop. <laughs> and so I go to the clearance, I'm like, oh, well, it's not the, bright, the nicest green color that I want, but it'll do, as long as I get it to a freezer. It, 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 it'll delay the, 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 the decay yeah. and the spoiling of 
the meat. And, and, and so they couldn't do that during the Bible days because there was no refrigeration. There was no electricity. So what they would do is they would take the meat that they wanted to eat and, 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 and if they were not ready to use it immediately, they would salt it down to keep it from going bad, to keep it from, 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 from uh, uh, decaying. So I think Christ here, before we even get to the, uh, the application here, I think we need to see first of all what Christ is saying. Two simple observations. First, Jesus is making very clear that the world as a whole is not good. But it was good when God created it. God declared, he, he looked at his creation and he said, it is Good. Good. That's, that's what he said. But, but then we, we get to Genesis chapter 3, the, the, the second act of the story of the Bible, and we see man fall because he was deceived by the serpent, and sin enters the world. And so what was good now is not good because of sin. Therefore, church, fully devoted followers of Christ, we preserve the world from further moral decay and corruption. But not only is this Jesus saying that the whole world is not good, but I think he's also telling us that in order for salt to be effective, it has to come into contact with another substance. In order for salt to be effective, it has to be mingled with another substance. Salt is no good in the cabinet. Yes. Salt is no good in the pantry. If, if we are going to be the salt of the earth, we are the salt of the earth, then we've got to come out of the cabinet of our homes, the cabinet of the four walls of our churches. We cannot isolate ourselves from the world. We ought to engage the world. We we are to permeate the world and the culture as agents of redemption. We call it here the bridge missionaries. We are to be missionaries, to be on mission for the kingdom of God. Just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. I, this is not uh, original with Brandon. There's so much, someone much greater, as I know, someone much greater than Brandon who came up with this paradigm. His name starts with a J and ends with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer. He's talking to the Father about his disciples. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you have sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Church, we can't be salt in our cabinets. So many of us try to, to, to isolate and insulate, insulate ourselves, our families, our children from the big bad world. But Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And in order for you to be effective, you've got to co-mingle. Okay, I don't like that point. I'm trying to answer. He says, not only are you the salt of the earth, but then in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Again, the you there is, in fact, you are the light of the world. 
implying that, that this, you being the light of the world, doesn't apply to the world at large, but to those who are committed to Jesus Christ. When Jesus said that his followers are the light of the world, he presupposes that the world is dark. If it's full of evil, it's rotting and decaying because of sin. That's the bad news. But I got some good news this morning. There is light in the world. Can, can I do a real quick review with you real quick about how light is used in the scripture? Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 27 and 1. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Christians all together say, I ain't never scared. Psalm 119.105 the, Your word is a lamp to my feet You better help me preach that day Psalm 119.130 The psalmist says The unfolding of your words give light It imparts understanding to the simple John chapter 8 verse 12 Again Jesus spoke to them and said I am the light of the world Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 12, verse 36. Believe in the light while you have the light, yeah. so that you will become children of the light. Yeah. And then Christ here, right here in verse 14, he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's talk about the function of light. Light dispels darkness. Light it, it illuminates. And this is the nature of light to just simply shine. Light reveals. It, it, it gives people direction. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking right now, when I was uh, working early at Liberty Mutual, uh, we were, when we were in Dallas, uh, we were staying, this is while I was in college, I was an intern. And this had nothing to do with the sermon. I just feel like telling y'all something like this. Now, I had to be at work. I have a 45 minute drive. And so I had to be at work at 8 o'clock. So if I wanted to be there at 8, um, I, would, I had to leave the house at 7.15. Now, the, the people that I was doing, the people that helped me get the internship, uh, they taught us to be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. And to be late is just unacceptable. So I couldn't leave at 7.15. I had to leave early at 7.15. And I also had to leave early because I was in traffic. I was going to hit traffic in Dallas. Okay? There is no such thing as traffic in Wichita, just so you know. <laughs> Not when you've been in Dallas traffic. So I'm leaving. So I'm waking up at 6 o'clock. Get ready to leave the house by 6.45. Now, my wife, y'all, she told all my business Friday night at the women's things I'm telling her. Uh, what, what am I? After Friday night, I am a, uh, I'm on the drunk, and what is Okay. Okay. So anyway, my wife loves to sleep, y'all. No, 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 no. Y'all can hear me. I'm actually using love in the right way right now. That woman loves her sleep. And she doesn't want to be uh, woken up, woke up before it's time for her to get up. So guess what? I had to get 
I had to get ready in the dark. <laughs> now they they expected me to wear uh, business attire when I went to work at this point. So I got on my slack, my shirt's tucked in, y'all. They laughed at me. They're like, Brady, you missed like four of your belt loops. What is wrong with you? It would happen day after day after day. They're like, you got on. <laughs> you got on a brown belt with black shoes. <laughs> and so I just tell them, y'all, I get dressed in the dark. That's what happened. Like I said, have not, not a lot to do with discernment. But bad things happen when you're in the dark. <laughs> That's how you need the light. Okay, where was I at? Here it is. Light keeps people from stumbling as they walk. <laughs> Speaking of waking up my wife, so I woke up this morning. BJ had to be at school at 7 o'clock. School starts at 7 o'clock. Whoever came up again, what you call needs to be executed. <laughs> and so I waking up with BJ to make sure he's awake, you know, because I don't want him to uh, be late. He can't eat. I mean, we're trying to help bus thing out, so he has to be there at the bus at 6 30. So I'm waking up. Mind you, my wife don't want to don't wake my wife up, y'all, before my alarm goes off. So it's dark in our room. It's pitch black dark in our room. And, I'm, and it's all like, next thing I know, I kick stuff. I kick stuff because I'm walking in the dark. I'm stumbling over stuff, stumbling over myself. I can't wait to get to the light. I said, you are the light. You lead people too. The light of the world. Light shows us where to walk, where not to walk. Our job, simply church, is to show forth Christ in all that we do. Christ is the light. Christ is in us, so we have the light in us. And so all we need to do is let Christ shine through us. So he gives this description, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, but there's some dangers that come with being salt and light. So secondly, let me show you the danger of the text. He says, the first danger of the text is you becoming worthless. You becoming worthless. Here, watch this. He says, you are the salt of the earth in verse 13. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Church, saltless salt is an oxymoron. But here's what you need to do to understand this verse. Most of the salt from the biblical times came from salt marshes in the Dead Sea. That salt that came from the Dead Sea was mixed with an abundance of impurities. And those impurities would cause the salt to lose its flavor and therefore becoming worthless. No longer good for anything. And Jesus is warning here that when a Christian fails to be a salty Christian, they are worthless to the world. Get me closer. I didn't say you are worthless, period. I said you are worthless to the world. You are, you, your identity is still in Christ. 
you still are uh, worthy and, and, and uh, uh, valuable because Christ died for you. So you're still worthy, but as it relates to the world, when you lose your saltiness, you become worthless to the world. When, when there is no distinctions, no distinction, excuse me, between Christians and the world, we're worthless. Help us, sir. Help us. We're good for nothing. When our walk becomes mixed with impurities, we lose our flavor. As you pursue holiness, you are being sought to the world. Remember, let me make this clear because some people have used this text to justify the, the possibility that we could lose our salvation. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, you know, no, you won't lose your salvation, but you will lose your influence in the world. So he's saying the danger of a salty Christian is they could become worthless because they lose their flavor. But he said not only do we have the danger of becoming worthless, but we also have the danger of being useless. Look with me. It's in there, I promise you. Verse 14. You want to light up the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Cities in the biblical time church, cities were built on hills. And the purpose of them being built on hills was for the purpose of warfare. It was you had a competitive advantage to fight from a hill rather than from a valley. So they would build these cities on hills, and many of these cities, the buildings that were built, uh, and the homes that were built in these cities were built of limestone. And when the sun would shine down this limestone, it would, the, these buildings, this city would radiate. So Jesus said, a city set on a hill, it can't be hidden, it just has to shine. Verse 15 says, Lord, the people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Church, it would be ridiculous to light a lamp and then put it under a basket. To do that would make the light useless. When we don't let our light shine, we become useless. Light is meant to be visible. And the danger is that our light becomes invisible to the world. They're, 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 you are not saved to be a secret saint. You need to counsel your membership in the secret saint society today. <laughs> you ought to be a, it ought to be clear to people that you are different. The Bible calls that holy. Yeah. The, and let me keep harping on this because holiness is not a denomination of the church. Holiness is a, the character or an attribute of God which he ascribes to his people. Matter of fact, we ought to be holy because God is holy. Yes. 
And so we ought to be distinct. We ought to be different. My son and I, first day of middle school, I'm feeling some type of way about this. And so we're talking. I said, son, there's going to be pressure. You're going to be tempted to conform to those around you. There's going to be a lot of peer pressure for you to do things that you shouldn't do, to say things that you shouldn't say, to treat certain people a way you shouldn't treat them. But as a child of God, you are holy. You, 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 the fact that you are a child of God, the fact that you've been saved, the fact that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, means that you are supposed to be different. Church, you are supposed to be different. You shouldn't be like everybody else. You are salt and light. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Help us. And it is a shame that the church is not as salty as it used to be. I'm preaching extra five minutes and everybody looking at their watch. But you go, I go to Africa, and I preach 30 minutes, and they look at me like, what's wrong with you? I had to walk two miles to get here. And you're going to give me this little bitty sermon? Now, I want you to preach as long as it took me to walk here. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Move to Africa. Turn to the motherland. Hallelujah. There used to be a, a time when the church was not simply called the religious right. Yeah. But we were the moral compass of this country. That's it, sir. That's it, sir. And now all we are as a block, they see us as a monolithic so that, that we can just vote for Republicans. Oh, and I'm not against voting for Republicans. That's not the point that I'm trying to make here. But, we, but there was a time when the church had, had influence in the world. I'm going to give you a mic. I'm going to give you a Sunday and you can do your thing. Okay, let me get back to our manuscript here. So we see the description here. We see the danger. What then is our duty? Here's our duty. Verse 16. He said, in the same way that light is supposed to shine for all the house, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, the first thing that we are simply to do is to let our light shine. Yeah. Let our light shine. Here's the good thing about light shining in the Christian. You don't have to do anything. Just be who you already are. You are the light of the world. Just shine. Yeah. There's no switch to turn on or off. You just shine. The light is already in us, so we don't have to light up. We just shine. The danger for us is we want to put it under a basket, under a bushel. We want to hide it. Christ said, don't hide it. Shine. And how do we let our light shine? Through our good works. And those good works can be a number of things. How we love one another. And visiting the sick. Visiting those in prison. Sharing with those in need. 
serving the homeless. These are all good deeds, good works. We let our light shine through our good works, but here's what the ultimate aim of our good works are. Here it is. God's glory. The goal of every Christian and everything we do should be to give glory to God. To, to, to bring honor to His name. To, 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 to spread God's fame throughout this world. Matter of fact, we were created and we exist for the glory of God. And as we let our light shine, and as we do good works, that should point people to give honor to God and to praise God. Let us never forget, church, that before light can go out from us, it must first be given to us. The question I have for you, my brother and my sister, is the light of life in you. Have you been delivered from the kingdom of darkness? You, you can receive this light today by acknowledging that you are a sinner and that as a result of your sin, you deserve eternal separation from God and hell. Here is the good news, though. Here's evidence that God loves you. He sent you to the Bridge Church on August 28, 2016 at 10.32 a.m. to hear that he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die your death to be your substitute. He hung on a cross with nails in his hand, a crown of thorns on his head. The penalty of your sin was poured on his son so that now all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Darkness to those in your sphere of influence. 